listening to That'll Preach, a weekly podcast on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast. Why did I just go low with that? That was kind of strange. I don't know. You always go into your podcast voice Welcome as soon as you start. Podcast. You sound like, what's that guy's name? Todd, Todd Friel. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> you do. You like, I think you try to channel him. Todd Friel. How does Todd Friel No, that talk? was John Mulaney. John Mulaney? I'm John Mulaney. I'm on this podcast and I don't know why. This is strange. Todd Friel is closer to your like actual podcast voice. Hmm. You don't even need to try I'll take that it hard. as a compliment. Anyway, thank yep. you for listening to this podcast. We, we have a good one for you today. We're going to be continuing our series on C.S. Lewis, talking through the book, Mere Christianity. If you haven't read that book, you need to read that book. You've got to pick that book up because it's fantastic. It's just got some great logical thinking. How do, how do, you, how do you put it, Paul, in philosopher it's, words? It's just, it's the, it's the best book that Christians should read outside the Bible. There you go. There you go. If you make one High book. recommendations. Yeah. But uh, we've been going section by section. Today, we're, we're going to cover book three. Yes. It's, it's split into what, four books? Mm-hmm. Book three, just the first two sections, because this is a, this is a pretty dense. huge. There's a lot. I don't know what Clive Staples was. That's C.S. Lewis's name, Clive Staples. I don't know what he was doing when he wrote this, but this is well, super remember, long. these were like a bunch of lectures, like small oh, little true. radio talks, and then the That's editors right. later compiled That's it right. into- That's right, C.S. Lewis had a face for radio. He did. And this is <laughs> this is the fruit of his work. But uh, we're gonna be talking through that, but we're gonna, we're gonna start off with a hot take. We usually start off our shows with hot takes. And uh, I've got a strange That's, hot take. I'm excited. strange, but uh, I think icing is disgusting. <laughs> you mean like the stuff that you put on cake and cupcakes? Yeah, yeah it's disgusting. Uh, wow. Yeah. So like frosting, icing, mm. is it just because it tastes like fake? It's too, it's too, too much. sugary. It's way too much. Like, I don't even know. I, the texture's weird. It's just, it's just like a sugar overload. It's just too much. My guess is you've only had like cheap frosting and cheap icing on stuff. I don't know. If you went to like a bakery and got like a Maybe. high quality cake, but you're right. Like the stuff that you get out of like the grocery store box is disgusting. It's just like you get a like a cupcake and you're just like, this is gross. Half of this is like disgusting to me. That is really interesting because you have a massive sweet tooth. No, I don't. You literally just finished a massive DQ blizzard. That's different. I usually don't have a sweet I really don't have a sweet tooth. I'm more of a salt, savory kind of guy. But I really, I don't ever crave sweets. That's, yeah, fair. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that's just what it is. You just don't like sweet things unless it's a DQ blizzard. There you go. I don't know why those have a soft spot in my heart. but It's literally soft. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. But I don't know. This is too controversial, and maybe I could have done a better one. I don't know. No, that's fine. I mean, I think that Paul, a lot of people me. will disagree with you. No, affirm me quickly. No, I don't believe in affirming. Okay, no affirmative action. I'll just tell you the here. truth. Wow, <laughs> that should be a that should be like your your pod your separate podcast called Affirmative Action, where you just affirm people. Is that non? Are we going to get canceled for saying that? No. Okay. I don't think so. I hope not. Paul, why, why are you leaving the room? <laughs> okay. It is, uh, it's late. It is late, but, uh, thank you to our listeners for listening in. And, uh, we're going to, we're going to dive right back into C.S. Lewis talking about it. a couple things. He, he starts, he opens up his third book talking about Christian behavior. Yeah. Why is that important to talk about Christian behavior? Doesn't that sound kind of legalistic? Doesn't it sound like you're, you're, you know, trying to uh, force people to just be rote and, and yeah. do, you know, obey the law just because you want to make God happy. So, well, how do you how do you convince somebody that talking about Christian behavior is is uh, 
actually something worthwhile. Worthwhile. Yeah. Lewis actually starts out by saying that the term morality is like the schoolboy hears morality and he just thinks like someone's out to try to stop him from having fun. And this is like the way secular people think of like anytime you raise the word morals or ethics, like the idea there is, well, there's going to be like some kind of killjoy involved in whatever you're going to tell me. And so, yeah, it's, it's not just like, I think most people kind of resonate with this. They they equate morality with legalism, with like anti-fun, with, you know, let's just deflate all of the good stuff from the environment. And what Lewis is trying to say is that like, no, like morality just means like the conditions for proper functioning. Like if you have a machine, you need the rule book that tells you what buttons to press, like how to connect these things together. Like what kind of oil do you put in? Do you not put oil? Like what do you do to ensure the machine functions? And so it's not like a killjoy to abide by the rules there. And so with Christian morality, these are just like, yeah, they're sort of like guidelines and manuals to how does a human being function well. Sometimes it can be like painful. It means like don't act on all of your impulses. Don't act on all of your felt needs. But ultimately, it's supposed to be like, hey, we're trying to function properly. And this is uh, this is good at bottom. Well, he talks, you know, that machine analogy is, is huge in what he, what he talks about. Like you're saying, it, we're talking about how human beings are supposed to operate. Yeah. That's what moral behavior is. Right. And it's going to feel unnatural because we're sinners. Mm. So just because it feels it's natural, painful, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, that doesn't mean that it's wrong because it feels unnatural to you to act in this way. But uh, I, I, I I love when he talks about. I think someone said the Puritans are people who um, who are have this sneaking suspicion that someone somewhere is having fun. <laughs> and uh, Lewis kind of touches on that spirit. Yeah. And I don't think the Puritans are actually like that. But he touches yeah. on that spirit where if if it's enjoyable, God probably wants you to stop. Right. And uh, that is not true. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that morality and joy don't have to be against each other. Sometimes we think about that the most moral thing is what is the least satisfactory thing or the the the, the thing that just it's just repressive and hmm. and backwards and and all these things. But uh, Lewis reframes that and he says, no, you need to think about it as a as a properly ordered operating machine. Yeah, that's the way you want to think about morality. And if anything, like. Christianity ensures that like there will be a close tie between happiness and morality. So like it's not just like there are these moral rules on the one hand and happiness is totally divorced from them. But God designed the system so that for humans, like when we're doing what we're supposed to do, when we're living within the boundaries and the parameters that he set out for us, that we do achieve happiness through that. Like you think about all of the goods of friendship, of marriage, of like sociality, of all the good things that God has given us. Those are like part of what it means to be a properly functioning human being. And those are like, they make us happy. And so there is like a really tight connection in Christian morality between happiness and proper functioning, even if it means sacrificing, you know, people talk about like, sometimes you have to sacrifice instant gratification for future satisfaction. So morality is kind of like that. It's like you don't want just like the instant hit of dopamine all the time because that's going to make your life suck in the long run. So Christian morality, the guidelines for how to live like a human, how, how a human's supposed to live, are about long-term success or about deep-seated happiness and contentment and satisfaction rather than just like the quick hits of dopamine that like the worldly um, paradigm tells you you should aim for. And it's important to think in those terms because 
It really is about the long haul. Yeah. Like you were saying. And we know that intuitively. Mm -hmm. You think, well, why don't you want to, you know, cheat on your wife because, you know, you see somebody else who's attractive. Yeah. Uh, In the moment, it may give you pleasure, but you know that that faithfulness over the long run will result in a happier marriage. Right. Right. A more satisfying marriage. Why do you uh, forego things that you might enjoy in the moment for discipline, hard work, mm-hmm. or for exercise. Well, because you know that in the long run, right. it's going to benefit you. Now, I mean, that that's that's sort of something we all understand. But when we really sit down and think about the things that God commands us, I mean, if you think about the Ten Commandments, it's like, don't steal. Yeah, it's all good. Don't lie. Don't <laughs> yeah. slander people. I mean, you do that, you have a good society. Right. Right. And worship God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, worshiping God is not meant to be a repressive thing. It's meant to be liberation and freedom. Mm-hmm. Right? The Israelites were freed from Egypt so that they might worship God in the wilderness yeah. and go to the land to worship God. So all these things are not meant to be, you know, just sort of restrictive for restriction state, uh, sake. But yeah. it, again, it's a fence that keeps right. you from uh, going across, running into the road. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I like what Lewis says here when he, when he talks about how there are two ways in which the human machine goes wrong. So he uses the machine analogy again, where he says, we're, we're designed to operate a certain way, that's yep. the moral code, mm-hmm. and we deviate from that design in two ways. The first is when human individuals drift apart from one another, or they collide into each other. Yeah. Uh, and the other is when things go wrong inside the individual. So to yeah. use the car analogy or the mm-hmm. machine analogy, when when uh, machines collide into each other, that's when we sin against each other. And then when machines don't operate properly within themselves, yeah. that's what's going on in ourselves, mm. our, our own problems uh, and conflicts internally. So those are the two ways in which something has gone wrong, interpersonal conflict and inner conflict. Yeah, And uh, I think that that's a helpful way of seeing not just if, if, if a properly functioning human operates in this way and we're operating this way, yeah. What does that say about what's going on with us? Yeah. And then and then Lewis even adds a third thing towards the end of the section where he says, so you have you have the inner stuff, like the car functioning on its own, like all of the all of the parts are there, it's not leaking. And then you have the interpersonal stuff, like you talked about, cars aren't colliding. But then you have this third dimension of like, okay, the car is like drivable. All the cars are functioning so that they're not colliding, but now like what's the destination? Like, where's everything heading? So there's like a third dimension that he thinks Christianity offers like a better response to. So it, it we have like the individual, like inner conflict of morality. We have conflict in between people. And then we have like, where is humanity as a, as a collective headed towards? Where are we all going? And so like Christian morality should address all of those three things and give us answers to how do we solve the individual problem? How do we solve interpersonal problems? And how do we solve the problem of the collective on the whole? And he uses the example of uh, what tune the conductor of the band yeah. wants it to play. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it seems like, again, like Lewis is going, everybody pretty much knows there's something wrong with the world. Mm-hmm. We're, we're fighting against each other. Yeah. Then some more reflective people realize, oh, there's something wrong inside of me. Mm. Right? I'm part of the problem. But Christianity offers a, a unique spin where it goes, it's not just things are wrong out there, and it's not just things are wrong inside of you, but the totality of what you're aiming for is actually wrong. You right. don't actually know what you're positively here for. You might know what you want to avoid, avoid killing people, avoid you know doing immoral things, but you don't know what you're built for, hmm. 
right? You don't know what tune the conductor of the band wants you to play. And when you really work it backwards, if you don't know what a human being is for, well then why does it matter anything else? Yeah. You know, if, if you don't know what it's for, how do you really know when it's malfunctioning? Exactly, yeah. Like if you don't know, <laughs> if you don't know what a knife is for, then you can't tell when a dull knife is not a good knife. Like, right. I, I mean, it could be, like a dull knife isn't always a bad knife. Like butter knives are, null, are dull, but that's because their function is to do this specific thing that doesn't require them being sharp. So, so the function of a thing, the function of a human, you need to have that in place before you can determine, is this human being doing a good job at being human? So you have to have that idea of purpose, teleology, like something bigger. Like you have to have an idea of the bigger picture before you can identify when the individual parts are working well. And if you work backwards, if you think that human nature, the point of it is that you express every desire that you have. Yeah. You work, you, you just act on every desire. Impulse, yeah. Every impulse. That's the purpose. Then that affects number two. Mm. So the internal battle within you, that means that it's really a battle between things repressing you and whether you can express every desire that you have. Right. And then the first one is, well, what is harm between two people? Right? Now it's if you reject my sense of being able to act to my own desires. Yeah. So you can see that a lot in culture now mm. where people go, if you don't call me this, if you don't identify me as this, yeah. that is violence to me. Right, right. And that's because that's that's flowing downstream from an idea of human nature is malleable, human nature is whatever you make of it. We have no ultimate purpose. It's up to each person to sort of mold themselves mm. in whatever image they want. So everybody has some kind of view of what human nature uh, is meant to have with regard to purpose, or they say there's no purpose to human yeah. nature and then it's just anybody's game. Right, right. But Lewis is very perceptive about this. And uh, and, and I think that that's what makes this writing so, so powerful. Well, on the other hand too, you have like, Lewis comments that most people grant that cooperation and like interpersonal relationships are really important for society to flourish. What we often underestimate as modern people is the internal stuff. So we say that like, so long as I'm not hurting anybody with what I'm doing, it's fine. Like what, what I think on the inside, what I do in the comfort of my own home or my own bedroom or whatever, like, like what happens with my sexual morality, what happens with my thoughts, what happens with how I like, you know, view people, view the world, that's not important. What matters is like, are we working together at, like in a society as a whole to benefit, you know, other people? So there's this idea of like, if I'm not harming someone, how could it possibly be wrong? And Lewis is trying to provide a corrective there that like, no, like morality is not just governing interpersonal relationships. It's about rightly ordering the individual person too. Right. So that there are ways that you can go wrong as a human machine, as a human entity, if your thoughts are vain, if your thoughts are lusting, if your thoughts are greedy, if your thoughts are all these sorts of things. So you are not a, an, an example of a good, properly functioning human simply because you're cooperating with your neighbors, you get along well with your boss, you do your work well. There's an internal ordering that needs to be achieved. Well, and he, and he gets into the idea of God wants to form a morality inside the individual. Yeah. And then you don't even have to be a Christian to have a morality formed inside you. Yeah. But again, that's that next step you're talking about. It's not just about here's morality so we can all get along and not yeah. hurt each other. Right. There's something about who you are as a person that mm. is dictated by morality. Yeah. Right? You're, you're becoming a kind of person. You're not just a person who every once in a while does a good thing, but that you are actually in your, I don't know, your being, you are, you are, 
you gravitate towards a certain way. Yeah. It, that, that these moral ideas and truths aren't just things you do, they're a part of you. And you can reliably be known to do them. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I think that that's why, you know, a friend who every once in a while helps you out, you, you don't really trust him versus the guy that does it without you even asking. Right. And consistently. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a difference mm -hmm. there. They're both performing good actions, but one is doing them out of uh, a, a character that has been formed exactly. by it. The morality yep. is internalized mm -hmm. versus someone who's just doing externally. It, it right. doesn't, it's not something you can rely on him with. It's just a one-off event. Right. And I think Lewis is, is drawing that point home. Yeah, yeah. And this, I mean, this is exactly where, uh, so he so he finishes that section on the three parts of morality, and then he specifically talks about the virtues, like, which is what you're talking about, Brian, there with, like, to be virtuous is not just to, like, do some good things as one-offs, but it's to have deep-seated character from which good acts spring as second nature. And if you guys haven't listened to it, you know, we did a whole podcast on virtues and vice. Back in the day, that was man. our first one. It was like our a first year. One. Well, it was at the start of COVID. Yeah, was, we're coming up on close now. to a year. Um, we have never recorded a podcast outside of a pandemic. That is true. You're right. Wow. Hopefully that ends soon, though. Like, I know. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, talk about these virtues. Let's though, talk the about the cardinal virtues. virtues. So, yeah. So why Lewis, are they called cardinal virtues? They're called cardinal. Just comes from the Latin word meaning pivot, like pivotal. So these are the things on which human nature and human character turn. Like these are so pivotal that they're called the cardinal virtues. And there's four of them. So traditionally, Christians have talked about seven virtues. Four of them are cardinal because, like. Everyone can have access to them and everyone recognizes them, whether you're Christian or not. So prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude or courage. So, and then you have the three uh, theological virtues that Paul talks about, faith, hope, and love. So Lewis and like the church and Christians in, in, in theorizing about ethics have said, okay, well, those, those are unique. Like those are Christian virtues. Those are theological. You need like special grace to be faithful, hopeful, and loving in the way that God wants you to. But the cardinal virtues are ones that are sort of like common grace. Like everyone cares about justice. Everyone cares about courage. Like you see, you see this exemplified in lots of different cultures. And so it's not really uniquely Christian thing. Um, yeah. What, what is, so they are, he talks about prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. Yeah. Sounds like different members of a superhero team or something. Or prudence. Prudence <laughs> kind of sounds like, you know, an old lady. It does. This is my friend Prudence. That, do you know an old lady named Prudence? No, but who cares? I just, it just sounds like it. So prudence. prudence is all over Proverbs. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's the what thing What is that, prudence? Prudence it's a is. a type of prune juice. <laughs> Prudence is like, isn't there an insurance company called? No, it's Prudential. Prudential. Are we going to get sued for saying that? Probably. We always ask ourselves, are we going to get sued? Paul, we they say can, we have nothing many. to get. If they sue us, we're going to sue us for $8.94. We have nothing. You're right. We have nothing. Prudence. Um, what is prudence? Prudence is essentially, let me, let me put it the way Lewis says. So he says, God wants from us a child's heart, but a grown-up's head. And so sometimes we think that like- Ooh, imagine two, that in real life though. That's kind of like a freaky mutant. <laughs> that's like the baby from the passion. The creepy, like I didn't watch the fashion. Okay, well, there's like not a, a real Christian. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, so prudence is basically like a virtue. It's called like sort of the master virtue. It's the virtue that helps you use all of the other virtues well. It's the one that's like we need to to have lots of knowledge. So here's an example. Um, I give to a charity, but I don't really like bother about whether or not the charity is effective or good or not. So giving to a charity is good, but prudence is that kind of like, it's that thing that the Proverbs are trying to get us to be. So like, 
like think about what it is that you're doing. Think about the ramifications. Investigate. Like look and see if this really is the best option. So the kind of person who looks at all the all the, all the alternatives isn't naive. Doesn't just give sort of like um, because they don't know what the world's like. So prudence yeah, be requires about what you're yeah, doing. Think be reflective, about it. exactly. So like that kind of yeah. Lewis talks about having the the heart of a child, but the, but the mind of an adult. And being having a heart of a child is is uh, what does he say? He says you're uh, teachable, affectionate, right? You're humble, right? But he's like, but I want you to think, right? And he uses yeah. an example like yeah, give money to a charity, but like <clears throat> look up the charity, make yeah, sure yeah. you're not scamming, exactly. People, which is, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, that's real, that's huge. And he also is like, look. I love how he admits not everybody's as smart as everyone else. Yeah. You know, he's like, you don't have to be, he says, uh, God will not love you any less or have any less use for you if you happen to have been born with a very second rate brain. (laughs) He has room for people with very little sense, but he wants everyone to use what sense they have. Yes. So he's like, if you happen to be born with a second rate brain, right? All of you second rate brainers out there. Like us. Like us. God doesn't want you to be Einstein. He doesn't want you to be, you know, in a sense, smarter than you yeah. are. He's just saying, whatever you got, make the most of it. You know, use what you got. Yeah. When Jesus sends out the the disciples in twos, he tells them to be as clever as serpents. Like, there's not too many sermons about that. Yeah. What does that? that mean, clever as serpents? I mean, like, don't uh, don't don't be naive. Yeah. Like that's true. Like that yeah. kind of like right. you know. Right. Somebody says you like you know I don't know. Hey, come. Walk into this ditch where oh, we prepared like a I good you were meal for you. Place. I don't know. <laughs> right. That was a really bad example. Involving like, an ice cream truck, and I don't know. <laughs> don't don't be don't be foolish. Don't be naive. Don't be yeah, don't be stupid. Yeah, don't be stupid. Like think about your actions, and so so think about the ideal virtuous person that you have in your mind. They're not naive. They're not the kind of person who like anybody comes up and asks them for money. They're just going to give them indiscriminately. Yeah. There you go. Like you, don't, you think about what you're doing. And even just with your faith, I think there's this kind of like, oh, shucks, Christianity, where people are like, well, you know, I just, you know, love Jesus. And, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? And like, yeah. oh, I just like to keep things simple. I'm like, well, you, are you sure? Or you just don't want to think about it, mm. you know? That, and then yeah. sometimes we can masquerade our laziness about thinking about what we believe Oof. with uh, with some kind of, you know, homespun spirituality. Wow. That should have been your hot take. Yeah, I know. I should have done that, you know, but it is true. It's it like is, people absolutely. write, yeah. you know, about like these musings that are anecdotal, which isn't bad, but it's like, you know, I mean, you got, you got yeah, you got, I mean, you gotta yeah. have something a little more substantive Yeah, and that's not elitism. That's not intellectualism. That's simply, I think what God God, God calls us to love him with our minds. Right, with like our minds. We often doesn't like, mean you have to be a philosopher. That. doesn't mean yeah. you have to have a PhD in anything or have to be super smart or even even necessarily literate. I mean, people loved God with their minds. And yeah. A lot of them didn't mm-hmm. know how to read back in the first century. When Lewis even was talks about how like Christianity itself provides a kind of education for people who don't have right. it. So he talks about like John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Right. Like he was formally unschooled. Never went to school, never trained, but just through being in the church, through having theological education, right. through being pastored well, he was able to write a beautiful novel that like shook hundreds of years of like the English literature right. paradigm. So there you've got like Christianity itself provides a kind of education and provides a kind of growing in prudence and intelligence that like, you know, kind of provi- provides a substitute for like the formal education that you might not have had. Well, that's why Israel was considered to be, you know, they were the people of the book. Yeah, right. They were people who mm-hmm. followed written texts. Yeah. 
and uh, that's part of their identity. Absolutely. Let's talk about temperance. Temperance. Let's talk about temperance. Temperance is the is the thing that I think gets also a bad rap because people think temperance means teetotalism, which is what Lewis points out. Like if you're temperate, you just you never drink, you never do anything that involves any pleasure at all. So like they equate temperance with abstinence, like totally just I will never partake in anything at all. But Lewis says that it's actually easier to be a teetotalist than to be temperate. So the temperate person doesn't say, I'm gonna get rid of everything. The temperate person says, I will only go to the extent that's appropriate. So when it's when it comes to drinking, when it comes to um, sexual pleasure, right? Like the temperate person is chased outside of marriage and then expresses sexual affections in the context that God designed it for. So temperateness is about being able to enjoy good things up until they're inappropriate to do so, right? Right, and that does take more self-control. Absolutely. And uh, it, it's 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 one of those things where uh, Lewis is so perceptive about some of the, the worst parts of abstaining from things mm. or temperance. And abstinence isn't bad across the board, sure. but, there's, but there's a way that it can be perverted. And one of the ways he says is, one of the marks of a certain type of bad man <laughs> is that he cannot give up a thing himself without wanting everyone else to give it up. Oof. I think you see Oof. this, it's kind of that virtue signaling, yep. or you go online, you tweet about it, you Instagram, it's like, I've made, I'm gonna yep. be this, you know, I'm gonna be off social media. Well, that's great. And I think everyone else should be off yeah. social media because, uh, you know, it, it's just like- I don't well, drink alcohol. Yeah, I don't yeah. drink alcohol. Yeah. No one else should drink right, alcohol. Right, right. It's like, and uh, I think it violates sort of, you know, the Apostle Paul, when he, I think in Romans 14, when he talks about, you know, uh, like some people are weaker brothers, some people are stronger brothers. You shouldn't judge one mm, another exactly. on those things. <clears throat> um, but I mean, people could talk about this with like homeschooling or, or Ooh. you know, <laughs> I know, right? You know, or like you were talking about teetotaling in terms of yeah, alcohol, yeah, yeah. where it's just like, I mean, then it becomes less about what's right for you. Not talking about moral relativism. You're talking about an actual pronouncement on those things being bad. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And the Bible does have fluidity with that of yeah. saying like you can apply it in certain contexts. Mm -hmm. You know. And uh, but but I love that it, it's actually a mark of immorality that you can't give up a thing yourself without wanting everyone else. And yeah. I think that's the key. You yeah. can't do it. Like you, it's one thing to to give it up and suggest, hey, maybe you guys should think about this. It's another thing to say that. I'm only going to give this up if everybody else does it too. Right. If everyone else less nuanced, justifies just and, yep. exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, if you keep if you just keep reading after that quote from Lewis, he says, "This is not the Christian way. An individual Christian may see fit to give up all sorts of things for special reasons, marriage, meat, beer, the cinema, but the moment he starts saying that those things are bad in themselves, or looking down his nose at other people who don't use them." He has taken a wrong turn. And I think that's, it's like things with fasting. Mm. You know, uh, what are you fasting from? You're fasting from a good thing, a thing that's good in and of itself right, right. for the sake of something greater. Mm -hmm. That's different than saying you're sacrificing something bad for the sake of something good. I mean, right. yeah, that's not fasting, right? right? People, mm -hmm. people say, I, I'm giving up like, I don't even, I'm giving up gambling for Lent. It's like, well, no, you should give up gambling for life. Yeah. You shouldn't, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm giving up cursing, you know, <laughs> my, my neighbor, like, you know, whatever, like yelling at, I don't know, whatever kind of thing. I'm giving up murder for giving, Lent. I'm giving up murder for Lent. Like that doesn't count, right? Yeah. You wanna give up something that's intrinsically good right. to be enjoyed right. for the sake of enjoying uh, something greater. 
right? Uh, but that's that's different. And and temperance is more about that than it is about you know just simply calling something evil. That's not evil. Yeah. And another another way that Lewis shows his like really good grasp of human nature is we always like we we focus on drinking and like some of the more overt like it's easy to see when someone's intemperate when it comes to drinking stuff, right? Because they're drunk and loud and like falling right. over. But he says. A man who makes golf or his motorcycle the center of his life or a woman who devotes all her thoughts to clothes or bridge or her dog is being just as intemperate as someone who gets drunk every evening. Of course, it doesn't show on the outside so easily. Bridge mania or golf mania don't make you fall down the middle of the road, but God is not deceived by externals. That's a good one. So again, it's about the heart. Like you right. are the kind of person who doesn't know how to do things within their appropriate contexts. You you essentially make idols of them. You go beyond what's warranted and you craft your life around something that doesn't uh, require or... Um, you know, it would just be too much to go to that point. Lewis says God's not fooled by the externals there. He uh, he also talks about justice mm. briefly. I mean, he doesn't really talk about justice that much. Yeah. He just says it, it's uh, it's more than just law court language. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really fairness, mm-hmm. honesty, give and take, truthfulness, keeping promises, all that. Yeah. So that's basically what he says about that. Yeah. I mean, un- under that falls like, like giving to charity, like caring for the poor, like caring that that just outcomes are met out in society. So you you are the kind of person who has internalized a standard of fairness so that when you see it not being met out, like something in you cries out. Right. And so that that's the kind of person that you want to be. What about fortitude? Fortitude. That sounds cool. As Lewis says, fortitude includes both kinds of courage. Yeah. The kind that faces danger as well as the kind that sticks it under pain. Yeah. I think it's a, he says that guts is perhaps the nearest modern English. That's a pretty good way to put it, right? But fortitude is just, you're brave, you're, yeah. you're willing to face danger, mm-hmm. and you're also willing to uh, endure pain for the right cause. Yeah. And I mean, uh, that's, I, that's important. I, I mean, just the last couple months, I was thinking about, I'm going to get personal here. <laughs> like, this is where I, I think sometimes I am more cowardly than I like to think. Just in terms of like, it's really difficult to say things to people sometimes that make them feel uncomfortable. Right. But that that virtue of fortitude and courage there is what helps you say like, even if it's difficult for you to hear this, even if it might make our relationship strained or awkward, like I want to be able to say this to you. And so like- It takes a deep love. Yeah, it does. Too. And so that kind of like courage is something that we should cultivate. So, uh, so again, the virtues lie in between extremes. Like you don't want to be reckless and you don't want to be cowardly. So this kind of like- Godly courage, fortitude lies in the mean or the middle between these two extremes. And it's something that, you know, it's, it's difficult to cultivate, but you need it to be a good human being. Well, Lewis says basically having these guts, having guts, having fortitude yeah. is what you really need for the other virtues to come into play. Right. If you're going to be just, if you're going to have temperance, uh, and, and and if you're going to uh, be the kind of person that, that, uh, th- that can have you know practical sense or prudence yeah right to think about what you're doing that's going to require some guts yeah some courage absolutely right and uh and that, that's uh the, and and again that's something that's formed into you which right. lewis kind of brings it together where he mm. basically says that you know i love what he says there is a difference between doing some particular just or temperate action and right. being a just or temperate man yep Someone who is not a good tennis player may now and then make a good shot. Mm-hmm. What you mean by a good player 
is a man whose eye and muscles and nerves have been so trained by making innumerable good shots that they can now be relied on. Yeah. I love that, mm -hmm. right? You know, I could go on a tennis court and hit a few couple, you know, decent shots. Can Believe you? me. I could. I could. I could. <laughs> but somebody who's trained, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. who's been playing for a while, you there's a reliability to it. Yeah. They're not just relying on luck. It's part of who they are. Something they've cultivated. Virtue is the same way. You can do something good every once in a while. But, but when we say someone's a good person, we mean they're reliably good. Mm -hmm. Because it's something that is internalized to them. Yeah. And it's something that we have seen be a part of their character. It's a yeah. disposition. Yeah. They, 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 it's almost like they tend to do the right it's, thing. It's a skill. This is right. the ancients thought of virtues as skills. Like it's something that you, so yeah, like the difference between, like if I make a three-pointer and Steph Curry makes a three-pointer, we're not doing the same thing. Like there, I'm like, I'm relying on luck. I'm relying on lots of these factors, but Steph Curry has so internalized, like his muscles have memorized what like, angles to be at, how much force to put behind the ball. He knows exactly where he's standing. He can, like his perception and his field of vision, all of this has gone into it over years and years and years of practice. And so Lewis is saying that virtue, to be just, to be temperate, to be prudent, to be uh, courageous, is that kind of skill, that kind of disposition that isn't just like, it comes from the one-offs. Like when you keep doing things over and over and over again for the right reasons, like when I am you know, doing some fair outcome. When I practice courage, saying the hard thing, even when it's difficult, because I know it's good, like there I'm building this muscle. I'm helping myself grow in the skill that will make me more just uh, courageous, temperate, all these kinds of But what if it's things. against your Enneagram number? Like you can't <laughs> be expected to change that. That's right. You're so, right. You know, that's what you are. Someone needs to that's tell Lewis are. that, yeah. yeah. He does really, that's what's, <laughs> he really acts like people can change. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. What, it's, a, what a naive, he's not being shrewd. He's not being- uh, Authentic. Wise as serpents or whatever. <laughs> yeah, he's not being authentic. He's not being authentic to himself, yeah. Well, you know, he sums it up. We might think that God wanted simply obedience to a set of rules, whereas he really wants people of a particular sort. Hmm. And then he starts to talk about heaven. Yeah. What is the deal with this? I mean, he starts talking about how like we will need some of the virtues in heaven. Like you won't be able to enjoy the new creation without having like if you. So this, this is the reason why, like, for example, like a racist won't be able to enjoy heaven. Like heaven is going to be a massive celebration of all tribes, peoples and tongues worshiping God. If you're a racist, that is hell for you. Right? So because you haven't cultivated the right kind of disposition, you don't view the world in the right way, their heaven won't be enjoyable for you. And so another way to think about it is you were going to be in the presence of God. You can't not have, like, you need to have fortitude. You need to have courage to be able to look and not cower and run away. Like, there has to be a kind of steadfastness. And so the virtues do play this role, even in the new creation, to help us enjoy, to even survive the new creation. And you see this in some of Lewis's other works, like The Great Divorce, like, when, when people walk into the new creation, even the grass is, like, difficult to step on because it's so pointy, like, they haven't right? Some people just don't have that ability to enjoy the realness and the trueness of what heaven looks like. And so you get a little glimpse of that here in mere Christianity, but he doesn't give you a full account of it. Well, it, it's it's an interesting way of viewing. Sometimes we, we often think about heaven as just a, you know, the, the, a place of endless choirs and floating <laughs> around and just kind of, I don't know, 
just a, a very sounds terrible strange portrait not to say that it won't be singing maybe there's a choir i don't know yeah but we don't ever think about it in terms of moral quality right like we're going to be virtuous people there yeah and uh, like you were saying it's just like it would be hell to somebody who doesn't like virtue yeah you know mm-hmm. oftentimes people will say you know I hope they serve beer in hell, you know, they party in hell. And I'm like, well, that's because that's what you think happiness is. Yeah. You know, and and you that's how twisted sin has made us, that we we desire the things that don't make our machine run properly. Well, and again, yeah. that, that's where Lewis, it kind of comes full circle to, to where Lewis began. He even, I mean, Lewis talks about hell. He talks about how hell is, is, is a grace to the wicked person because it prevents them. So if you had an eternity to cultivate your vice, you would just keep getting worse and worse and worse right. until you become less and less like, human. Right. Yeah. So, so like God putting an end to that, preventing people from being able to act out their wickedness or, or continue acting out all of the hatred in their hearts. Like that is a grace to them that God doesn't let them become as evil as they can right. be. It's almost, yeah, it's a restraint. It's a restraint. Yeah. Right. So that, that's a helpful way to think about what, Heaven and hell. I mean, Lewis's view of heaven and hell, I know sometimes reformed people are like, eh, is it? But it's it's like he has some really striking insights about human nature, the new creation, and God's grace to people um, in, in hell. Well, virtue is a lost topic, I feel like, in, yeah. in, in Protestant circles. Because it sounds kind of Catholic-y and, you know, <laughs> and it sounds works righteously, but it's really not. No, yeah. It's really talking about Romans 6 when Paul says, present your... Members as slaves to righteousness. I mean, mm-hmm. what's he talking about? He's right. saying be a virtuous person, mm-hmm. empowered by the Spirit, yeah. by God's grace, right? Of course. But uh, the, the doesn't negate right. will and yeah, action yeah. and habit and that being ingrained into yeah. you. Sometimes we think, how does the Holy Spirit change us? Well, he doesn't just zap us. He could. I mean, yeah. he does. Mm-hmm. But usually he changes us through us practicing right. and obeying and practicing mm-hmm. obedience. Right. And through that process... He empowers it and he slowly transforms us and builds virtue. Yep. And that we don't need to be afraid of that word. Right. In fact, we need to embrace that word Mm -hmm. and to say, how do I cultivate virtue in my life? Yeah. How do I not just do good things every once in a while, but become the kind of person who does those things and enjoys them and finds joy and satisfaction in them? Mm -hmm. Because that's ultimately the goal. And really, we're talking about sanctification. Absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, that's, that's often lost in this conversation. The... The, the 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 idea that you can cultivate these characteristics through mm-hmm. practice right yeah it's practical. good stuff yeah. paul good stuff it is we're going to be back next week we continue our c.s lewis series make sure you subscribe leave a nice comment for us and we will be back next week